I'm Russell Schmidt of the Valley Jazz Cooperative, and today the Q&T podcast explores new terrain. In our initial five episodes, we shared conversation with outstanding jazz musicians, individuals who also happen to be nationally renowned educators. And as we move forward, jazz musicians will continue to be frequent guests here. But through that first handful of episodes, I found that exploring the nature of creativity with my guests was as satisfying and fruitful as anything we've talked about. So now we're going to branch out into conversations with creative people from different fields beyond the realm of jazz. And that starts with my guest today, comedian Genevieve Rice. Join us as we discuss how a one-time open mic opportunity grew into a stand-up career, whether or not the writing of a particular joke is ever truly finished, and even the impact motherhood has had on her comedy. And off we go. I'm joined today by Phoenix-based comic Genevieve Rice. She is the co-creator and co-host of Thank You for Being a Podcast, which recaps Golden Girls episodes. And her eponymous website's bio notes that the Phoenix New Times nominated Genevieve for Best Phoenician to follow on Twitter a couple of years back, but she lost to Rustler's Roost, a restaurant with a slide in the lobby. <laughs> and her Twitter account currently lists her as a good mom and also as one who lies about being a good mom. It's my privilege to welcome her to the Q&T podcast today. Welcome, Genevieve. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, delighted you're here. Ultimately, I do want to turn to the nature of creativity and comedy. But first, I want to start by asking you about your activities within the Phoenix comedy scene and what projects you're currently involved in. Awesome. Yeah, um, I'm actually uh, producing a couple of new shows right now. Um I'm producing a, uh, a a new roast show that's monthly, and uh, we we call it Burn City, and uh, we roast terrible things. And uh, we just had our first one uh, where we roasted depression, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was super fun. Uh, we basically we had someone play depression, and then we all uh, wrote jokes about depression and and like uh, anxiety, and uh, it was. It was just a blast, and we raised 200 bucks. And Great. Uh, yeah, we've been doing that at Second Beat Monthly. And then— um, Is that on 7th Street? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Great. 7th Street and I think Bethany Home. Awesome. Um, and then uh, we're also starting up a new show this fall at the Womack mm-hmm. uh, called The Birdcage. And that's going to be more of a monthly like stand-up showcase. Beautiful. So, yeah, very excited about that. And then um, I also uh, I also produce Jazz and Jokes at the Nash. Uh, it's on hiatus right now. That was a really fun show uh, where basically we had stand-up and then we had jazz and then we'd have stand-up and jazz together where the uh, comics musicians would come t- together and play games. So Awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, I, I also produce uh, Bird City Comedy Festival, uh, which takes place every spring, except for last spring when I gave birth. So, <laughs> Sure. Yes. Well, well, we'll talk about your bundle of joy in a little bit here. But, <laughs> I, but I do want to say I've attended both uh, jazz and jokes at the Nash and hope it resumes soon. And then was fortunate enough to be there for the uh, comedy roast of depression mm-hmm. at yeah. Second Beat. Uh, really great show. And you mentioned it raised $200 for charity. Do you know off the top of your head specifically which it was a suicide prevention charity in Phoenix? Yeah, it was. Arizona Suicide Prevention Coalition. 
Wonderful. Yeah. Do you think uh, future roasts will also have some sort of community embeddedness like that that you'll want to partner with and support uh, worthy causes? Yeah, absolutely. We will definitely like have uh, like a charity partner as well. Like, and that's part of it. Like uh, I've done roast shows before and they're fun, but they can kind of get mean spirited and, you know, and really the the fun part of it is writing the jokes, mm-hmm. writing the jokes and kind of getting your stage persona. And, um, and then this way it's, it's fun like that. And then we also raise money for charity. So dynamite. Yeah. Dynamite. And the target in this case was a stand up comic as the personification of depression. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it's a little easier to be mean because you're not actually being mean to that human being. You're, you're, <laughs> Being quite hostile to something uh, deserving of scorn. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We'll be sure in the show notes for uh, this episode to list links to some of the events you're doing so people can keep track of you and also your uh, Twitter account as well. Can I ask you about uh, your background? Um, Earlier before we went on air, you mentioned uh, uh, Oklahoma roots, and I also saw that in your online bio. So, Have your Oklahoma roots informed your comedy at all? Well, that's actually where I started comedy. Um, I started um, maybe around 2007 um, in um, my college town of Norman, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was an open mic there and someone I knew ran. And honestly, uh, I've always been a huge fan of stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I watched, uh, late night shows. I would watch like, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties, I would watch like, um, like evening at the improv and sure. Caroline's and stuff like that, which, uh, most eight, nine year olds aren't seeking out, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I was a huge fan. And, uh, one of my friends ran this open mic and I was like, you know, I've always wanted to try stand up comedy, but I had no idea how you do it. And I was like, I guess this is how you do it. So, uh, I got five minutes together, uh, thought I would do it once sure, and, uh, it went really well. Um, and I was like, oh, I guess, I guess I got to do this again <laughs> sometime. Awesome. And, uh, started doing it pretty regularly. And, um, and then I moved to Phoenix about a year and a half later and, um, and joined the scene here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um. It's just been building uh, over the last 10 years. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, how has the Phoenix comedy scene grown in that time, in, in the last decade? Uh, it's, it's definitely, um, when, I, when I first started, I remember uh, trying to find out about mics, and I, I actually looked in the paper. <laughs> sure. I looked in the paper, and I looked on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I just neither of which exist yeah. <laughs> in 2019. Yeah, I remember uh, going to my first uh, mic here, and and uh, um, well, for starters, it's it's much more uh, it's much more diverse. Um, when I first got into it, maybe 2008 here, mm-hmm. it was mostly men. Sure. Yeah, there was really only maybe like three or four women that were doing it out of hundreds of comics. Sure. Yeah. So it was, it was not unusual to be uh, not only the only woman on the show, but the only woman they had booked for 
three months, six months, you know, if ever. Right. Uh, so uh, that's that's pretty unusual now. Like you don't really see all male lineups that often anymore. Sure. In fact, the uh, second beat show that I just saw last week, I think there were seven comics involved and four of them mm-hmm. were women. Is that on yeah. the money? Oh, yeah. Uh, we, and we try to be pretty diverse. Uh, we try to have a good mix of men and women and, and also people of color and white people and stuff like that. So Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I mentioned your Oklahoma roots, but uh, has living in Arizona for the last decade, has that provided some fertile ground for comedy too? <laughs> or is your comedy not, you know, locality based? I suppose some people worry about timeless comedy versus topical comedy and 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 some folks go after their roots and others do not mind that vein does does living in Arizona offer you a comedic material that you take advantage oh, of oh for sure um i i i though uh, oklahoma i think is a more dramatic thing being from oklahoma is is a more dramatic thing to people actually mm-hmm. uh so i I've, I've i really haven't talked about it that much though on stage because uh, people don't really, uh, they never think I'm from Oklahoma. Right. Because I think people have a different picture of what people from Oklahoma look like. Like, uh, I think they expect me to be like in a cowboy hat or sure. or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> Just, I don't really, uh, I'm from Oklahoma City, so I don't really have that much of a, a Southern accent, really. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it comes out on certain words as your editor will tell you, but, <laughs> but it's not, um, it's, it's not super strong. Sure. So I'm always trying to figure out ways I can talk about it. Um, Arizona, I talk about more when I'm actually traveling. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But it's also another place. I, I think people don't know, um, uh, when you go someplace else, I think people don't really know what to think about Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I want to get back to hats because that's an important topic. <laughs> you mentioned you don't have a cowboy hat, but more importantly, how many hats do you own? Because the last four times I've seen you, you've had a hat on three times. <laughs> I actually don't have that many. I think I probably have now. If you like, kind of go more like head mm-hmm. headgear. Sure. Oh, I probably I've probably like fifteen, twenty things. Okay. Uh, strictly hats. I think I probably have six. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me ask how being a, a new mom has influenced um, not just your career, but how has it changed your comedy? Uh, well, that is that is still kind of developing because uh, I sure. yeah because I um, I just got back on stage maybe about a month ago for mm-hmm. the first time in about six months. Sure. I've been trying to tell uh, a lot more jokes about motherhood. Um, there's a lot of material there. I mean, I think part of it too is uh, I, I don't want to talk too much about my kid to people that do not have kids. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> it's just like, yeah, they don't want to hear about how I put oatmeal in my formula. Or <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> uh, that's about it. Um, yeah, relatability, but, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, I wasn't going to go here, but I'll, I'll ask, um, have you seen – Ali Wong's comedy specials, either Baby Cobra or Hard Knock I Wife, where she's like eight one. months pregnant and doing yeah, a bit. 
I saw Baby Cobra, and I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I have enjoyed both of those tremendously. The follow-up, she's also substantially pregnant with her second child and doing a bit. So um, wow. it, it, it's really, really inspiring. And, and to me, while it informs the comedy and the majority of, of her routine <laughs> in these specials, it, it doesn't limit it. It's really, uh, uh, she does a fantastic job and I think a pretty courageous job to be yeah. on stage under those circumstances. Yeah. About the latest in my pregnancy I did stand up was seven months. And, sure. um, and I, I actually, I got really sick during my pregnancy. I got something called preeclampsia mm, and, sorry. um, yeah, it was, it was no fun. Right. But sure. <laughs> don't recommend getting preeclampsia. <laughs> sure. So. sure. Over the counter or by prescription. <laughs> Actually, towards the end of my pregnancy, I had problems with my vision where I kind of had blurry vision. Oh, wow. And so okay. I didn't really, I was like, I should probably be just doing regular, normal things and concentrating on that instead sure. of <laughs> which Which stage. was being an Uber driver with your bad vision, right? <laughs> I'm a surgeon, guys. Oh, so that's my go. day job. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that leads me to wanting to ask you about a recent tweet on your uh, Twitter oh, no. <laughs> account. Oh, yes. So you have one of the best tweets I've read in a couple of years, which is, this is about a, a month ago. Kids are the ultimate horror cruxes. <laughs> Defend that position. <laughs> Go. Oh yeah, that uh, that got deleted on some platforms. I think I don't think I actually. Wow. Uh, yeah, I basically that was something. Uh, you guys are all Harry Potter fans. Sure. <laughs> I was just thinking about how. Uh, yeah, you you have a kid. Uh, it's basically a part of you, mm-hmm. and uh, that is how you. Uh, like Voldemort, uh, p- keep a part of yourself in the world. Sure. <laughs> so. But this is part of my favorite thing in comedy where you identify something that's <laughs> incredibly true and therefore relatable, but no one's thought about it that way before. Um, so may I use that as a jumping off point to ask oh, you about yeah. your creative process? Yeah, I just, I love that so much. There's uh, There have been a couple things in the last month You've posted, and I'll, I'll read a couple more uh, from your Twitter account, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, and then I'll ask you about your creative process, because I'm really <laughs> interested in the nature of creativity uh, for, for all creative types. Uh, to this point, the podcast has only been interviewing jazz musicians, but I, just, I, I care more generally about the nature of creativity. So here are three more awesome tweets from about the last month. Um, some rando just messaged me to ask when he can pick me up for our date. I'm going to ask if I can bring my baby. <laughs> that actually got, okay, that actually happened. And uh, it got dark because I found out who that guy, I Googled that guy. Uh-huh. And I found out that he uh, had like sexual harassment charges against him. Oh my gosh. And, and like, wow. yeah, he had like assault. He had like a salt charge and mm-hmm. he was like friends with like probably 250 of my friends. Sure. So it was, and, and like basically nobody knew him. Right. Yeah. And he had kind of like, he'd messaged me like a few times and, uh, and then it was like, it was always things like, uh, just real quick, like meet me at six, <laughs> meet me, meet me at six wow. where, you know, like bring a rose or something. It right. was like weird stuff like that. And sure. it was just like, like, uh, I don't know. He probably messaged, he probably was 
probably messages like 50 girls a day and they're all just like, what? <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. It's sure. just gross. Well, you have no idea how much I regret picking that one from your account, <laughs> but we'll continue. Well, I mean, we had fun. Yeah. I, no, no. It was something that it. was like, it was something that was horrifying sure. and we made fun of it. Right. And uh, yeah, and it's fine. He lives in Chicago and we're safe from him. So. That's good. Lots yeah. of people. I told him about that and uh, they deleted him. So there you go. Yeah. Positive outcome. <laughs> All right. Um, I took personal offense at this because our podcast is new. <laughs> Your tweet. Is there a hotline you can call if you want to start another podcast? <laughs> What's the genesis oh, of that one? That is totally making fun of me. Um, I mean, I, I had for a long time, I had thank you for being a podcast, uh, the Golden Girls podcast uh, that I ran with Anthony Decimito for several years. And uh, we we used to do it weekly. Uh, we watched, we basically what we did was we watched all the episodes in the series. And then um, we've been kind of doing periodic episodes every once in a while. Sure. Like uh, we had uh, Mark Cherry, who is uh, one of the writers uh, for Golden Girls. And then of course we've just had like random ones where you just watch like, um, there was a special where the Golden Girls performed for uh, the queen. Really? From the eighties. Wow. <laughs> we watched that with a couple of friends. So we have that podcast, which is very periodic. And, um, and then I had another uh, podcast uh, called Taste Buddies for a while mm-hmm. where I talked to people about food. And now I'm like, okay, do I want to s- start another podcast <laughs> and, and have it going for like 10 episodes or, you right. know, or something like that? Or Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I want to ask you about one more tweet and then we'll turn to the nature of comedy. Here's, here's the most recent one that uh, I found very funny. My favorite Netflix category is cerebral comedies to consider before deciding to just watch Zodiac for the millionth time. <laughs> so how, how is this, how realistic is this from your own experience? Oh, uh, this is very realistic <laughs> yeah. though. Uh, I, I, I love the movie Zodiac and that's, that's more about like the, Oh my gosh, I just want to watch Zodiac. Uh, I don't really want to watch anything new. <laughs> sure. That was inspired by uh, my husband, Jeff, and I uh, coming through Netflix, trying to find something to watch together sure. and failing. <laughs> so Absolutely. This, this is the relatability <laughs> thing again, though, because I can tell you, Nancy and I have literally gone through 15 minutes mm-hmm. of scrolling through every category you can. Nothing's a home run. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and Jeff and I, I mean, individually we can find stuff, but like if it's together, it's it's hard to find something that kind of, merges. Um, but for the most part, I like comedies, uh, where Jeff says everybody yells and, uh, he likes kind of like dark murder mysteries. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Question mark? <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, uh, the nature of creativity in comedy. How much do you find to be inspiration? How much of it do you find to be craft? I know a lot of people, uh, obsess over exactly the right word choice, for instance. And I feel mm-hmm. like word choice doesn't come from inspiration. You, inspiration might be getting a general idea down, but then arranging the words and choosing the specific vocabulary to to maximize payoff, that to me sounds like craft. And I say that as a creative musician who, not when I'm improvising as a performer, but when I'm composing or arranging mm-hmm. and I have time to really put things out there the way that I want them to be framed, that's more craft for me. Um, do you find the creative process for you as a comedian to also be craft-driven, or is it sometimes just 
uh, a lightning bolt out of the blue inspiration where what first comes to you is the best way to present something funny? I I feel like uh, it's it's a mix of both. Um, for me, I try to write something every day. And I, I feel like uh, Twitter and Facebook are, are great for that. They're uh, like very good practice uh, for, for writing a joke, you know, and basically like trying to think of something, at least one joke every day. But, um, but sometimes, uh, something will come to me and, um, and then I'm like, okay, I've got to, I've got to work on this right now. Um, I kind of feel like really like your very first idea is your best idea. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it really is. uh, But I, I mean, I feel like you get like, I'd say like you get about 60% from like inspiration where you really like, okay, you get like the, the very like nuts and bolts really. And then, um, you really have to think about it to really flush it out. And I feel like that's where craft comes in for me is okay. All right. I've got to think about this a little bit more. I've got to think about which word is funnier here, you know, um, how to get to the point quicker because, you know, if something's too wordy, it's, it's not as funny. Um, really, you know, um, and that's, that's a big part of it is, um, is just trying to hone down the joke. A lot of the things that I tweet, um, I do try it on stage in some form. When you start out telling something on stage, I mean, it, you don't, you don't usually, I think that's maybe happened to me once where it's like the first time I told it was the best. Interesting. You usually add on to it. You think of other ways to tell it. It can also be a placement in the set. Like sometimes uh, I, I'll do something later in the set or I'll try it out earlier in the set and see mm-hmm. if it, you know, if I have the right energy to tell it at this point in the evening. Sure. You know, it's interesting to think about the malleability of all this, the development of one's material and the honing of your craft. It all seems to be an ongoing process. I'm reminded of classical composers like uh, Sibelius, who might continue to revise a work after it's been premiered or even after the first edition is out, and they're still trying to get something just right. But how are you ever going to get it perfect? And I'm also reminded, believe it or not, of uh, someone like Duke Ellington, who might create a handful of different treatments of the same piece, sometimes subtly different, sometimes changed substantially to meet various goals and purposes. So it seems like the repertoire is not as fixed as we musicians would sometimes be inclined to think. Uh, And it sure looks like this is true in your world as well, where the process of writing comedy seems to be ongoing. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a it's an interesting question about when a joke is done, really. Mm. And and the only definition I've heard really is if you've recorded it on an album. Okay. If you've, but I, I don't know. I've I've definitely heard stuff that's on an album, and then um, the comic revisits it. Sure. So I I honestly feel like. I mean, with comedy too, like it's never really done. You can, you know, to keep it fresh for yourself, you do kind of have to make changes. And also, um, I mean, there is, there is kind of a shelf life on most jokes and it, um, unfortunately it varies and you don't always know how much (laughs) it's going to vary. Sometimes it's years and sometimes it's weeks. (laughs) Right. 
Right. So sometimes Absolutely. it works once and never again. <laughs> so <laughs> well, can can that uh, uh, help me turn to a, a related topic, which is: Do you make conscious choices on the level of topicality, like what is topical humor versus timeless humor? In other words, does mm-hmm. the topical stuff find its way onto the Twitter, but more timeless stuff might become part of a stand-up routine? Do you filter yeah. that way? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I I pretty much save uh, a lot of uh, topical stuff, mostly for Twitter and social media and stuff like that. And then sometimes it makes it onto the stage. Uh, and sometimes if I could, it really depends if it's, uh, if I can kind of make it as part of a, a like an overarching, like, theme or something like that, or, or something that's, uh, been going on. Um, I mean, if it's like, um, like I can't talk about pizza rat <laughs> anymore. <laughs> sure. I, I don't know if you guys remember who pizza I rat is. I remember pizza rat. Yeah. <laughs> like, unfortunately, like, uh, yeah, I really could only talk about pizza rat for about two weeks. Right. So, yeah. Right. Uh, but, and, and I think the, the nature of the news cycles are, the topical humor, it seems like the shelf life for that would be getting even shorter. And uh, that probably puts a best buy date on your comedy that is a little closer to today, today than you might like. In other words, there might be less bang for the buck for some jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely true. And part of it is, um, you know, jokes that I tell on stage, uh, I, I craft them specifically for the stage. And, um, and something that maybe will only, you know, you can only do for a few weeks. There's, that's not kind of, that's not usually worth the time though. Sometimes I, I'd rather do something like, um, more of, I maybe would just like to do more of a riff sometimes, uh, in a set, if it's something that we're all kind of thinking about and it's of the moment and I'd rather just do that. So with topical stuff. Sure. Well, uh, when you say riff, can I ask a question? Uh, earlier, I'd been talking about inspiration versus craft. Mm-hmm. One of uh, my favorite uh, comedians, and I hesitate to call him that uh, because he's not strictly a comedian. He's an author, a comedic actor, a former late night host. One of the things I really liked about Craig Ferguson mm-hmm. when he hosted uh, the show on After Letterman was that he was clearly improvising some of his opening monologue. And I feel like his monologue wasn't written out word for word as jokes on cue cards as they were for most other late night hosts. But his stand-up, well, I shouldn't call it stand-up, his opening monologue Mm -hmm. really was just a series of bullet points on the cue cards. Be sure to talk about this. Be sure to talk about that. And then he would really truly riff with great improvisational skill on those topics. Um, and so for him, the craft, getting the language just right, wasn't actually that important. So how much do you, when you're on stage, how much do you improvise the actual language? Like, you know, the content you're mm-hmm. going to hammer, but how much of it, the way in which it's presented, the way in which it's framed, isn't written out like a script, but is just something you're going to loosely talk about. Uh, for most of my jokes, I, um, when I first started, I used to write out everything word for word and, Mm -hmm. and then it would almost, um, it really, it, it kind of limits you a lot, uh, trying to get all the words and, and like it, it makes you look kind of stilted. Okay. And, um, 
And so um, I stopped doing that as much um, a couple years in and, um, and I, and it just felt a lot better. And that way, uh, if it's from a more natural place, um, I mean, you, you do kind of have your, your, you know, beats that you want to hit and there are certain ways that you want to word that. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's about energy and, um, and it's about relating that to the, to the audience. Sure. So, um, you want to make sure, uh, I mean, another thing too is I write differently than I talk. You know, if you read it out word for word, it's it's like, oh boy, this is too wordy. This is, yeah. Right. Yeah. Can I ask if you and your husband, uh, jazz guitarist Jeff Libman, have you ever talked about that? Because when you said that, my first thought was I write differently as a composer, mm-hmm. which is not a real-time exercise. Then I improvise as a jazz pianist. So I know Jeff is a fan, a fantastic composer mm-hmm. as well as a great jazz guitarist. So he does the same thing where he's doing his craft in real time as an improviser, but he's doing his craft in super slow-mo as a composer. You just basically articulated the same thing yeah. for you as a comedian that the writing if you're going to get every word right, okay, that's comedy and super slow-mo and uh, riffing spontaneously on a subject is the real-time experience. Do you two ever talk about the intersections of your uh, chosen art forms? Uh, a little bit. I, I don't know if we've had that specific conversation, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, basically you you kind of have to, there is, you know, you do have to plan you have to plan and there is, you know, a certain craft of that and, you know, it that shows up on stage. But you also, there is something to like the magic of being in the moment and being able to riff and, um, and, sure. and being able to like observe what's going on in the room and what people are thinking about and what they'll respond to and putting that in your, you know, in your act, in your act or in your set or whatever. Sure. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, can I ask you, uh, we'll begin the process of concluding our time together. I want to ask you a couple questions of, uh, of influences. Mm-hmm. I know for me as a, as a composer and as a pianist, I have a lot of jazz pianists and composers in my rearview mirror that I acknowledge as important influences. I was going to ask, uh, are there any uh, favorite comics that you have been influenced by and also any people working today that you particularly enjoy? And they might not be influences, but you just find them incredibly funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, I have I have lots of favorite comics. Um, one of my favorites is a comic named Paul F. Tompkins. Sure. Um, I'd say he's a, he's an improviser and a stand-up. Uh, right now he is uh, a voice actor on BoJack Horseman. He mm-hmm. plays Mr. Peanut Butter. Awesome. And uh, is that the dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, and uh, I listen to him a lot on podcasts. May I interrupt? I'm sorry. Oh, I, I just want to say I remember he was one of my three or four favorite people on the rotating panelists on Chris Hardwick's show. Oh was yeah, that at midnight. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was he was always hitting. The home runs on that show. I, I adored him on that. I got to see that. Uh, I got to be in the audience for that once. Awesome. Yeah. It was very fun. I did have I the flu at the time. Oh, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> Which I did not know at the time. I just went and I was like, God, I just don't feel very good. Sure. Um, but it was very fun still. 
I really like Dana Gould, and uh, I've I've actually had the privilege of working with him a few times. Cool. So, yeah. Um, Maria Bamford. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's she's wonderful, and there's really nobody like her. Agreed. Yeah. Her, her delivery. There are certain people who, in their delivery, uh, uh, it has its own unique quirkiness to it. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried is another mm-hmm. one that comes to mind that the content is funny, but then it's the curious delivery that sends things over the top. And, 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 uh, she has that as well. Yeah. Um, Pat Oswalt. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I just, uh, just his jokes are just, uh, there's just so well written and, um, and he just, you know, there's his delivery is fantastic and he's a really great actor. Sure. Which, of course, I mean, I think part of it is I he he really knows how to use that energy on stage. Right. And there are lots of people that uh, I I enjoy every day that that write great jokes. I, I follow so many great accounts on Twitter. And so, do you view this as just consumption and like, oh, I'm having a good time checking out these comedians or their Twitter feeds or their you know comedy specials, whatever it might be. Or do you also view this as a little bit of a an educational opportunity that you can continue to grow in your own craft by watching how uh, some folks with greater visibility are achieving success in the field? Uh, I think part of it is, I mean, part of it is enjoyment. Just I, I like listening to these people. They're, you know, they have great albums. They're great podcasts. Sure. Um, but... Yeah, I do take a cue from how they perform and how they are on stage and how they are with other people and, you know, and really like how often they're putting out albums, like what kind of jokes they're telling right. and um, and how they get into these jokes, you know. And um, I mean, for instance, with uh, Paul F. Tompkins, um, I like to dress up on stage. I, I pretty much uh, always wear a dress or, or like... Um, something that looks nice. Sure. I mean, even if I'm performing in a dive bar, um, I don't dress super fancy at a dive bar, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I try, I try to dress up and that, um, partially just came from, all right, I, I want to look nice. If, if nothing else, I want to look nice. But, um, Paul F. Tompkins talked about it, uh, in a podcast I heard when I was maybe like three months in and he was just like, you, it makes you, feel like it's showtime when you dress up. It helps convey to the audience that this is showtime, especially when you're three months in and maybe have three minutes of <laughs> funny sure, stuff. Sure. You, you'll say you have 10, but you have three. <laughs> you're counting <laughs> on seven minutes of laughter. Yes. <laughs> um, you, you, you do need, you, you especially need everything that conveys that you're the real deal. Right. So, Yeah. Interesting. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today on the Q&T podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. <laughs> you bet. You've been listening to comedian Genevieve Rice. You can follow her on Twitter, where she's at Genevieve Rice. And there's podcast info and writings available at her website, GenevieveRice.com. Also, there are only currently three Genevieve Rices on Facebook, so you have a fairly good chance of finding her humor there, too. If you want to learn more about the Valley Jazz Cooperative and its programs, including our newest endeavor, VJC Publications, please visit valleyjazz.org. The VJC Q&T is recorded in Tempe, Arizona, 
where one out of every three people is actually an electric rideshare scooter.